Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. Before I introduce my guest who's joining us via Zoom, people ask what they can do to support the podcast. And the things, the best thing you can do is just leave reviews. Leave a review for my book at Amazon. You can leave a review for my book at Desert Book. That's very helpful. We have five-star reviews there and one-star reviews. It's kind of polarizing. So if you feel so inclined, go to Desert Book and leave a review of, um, of our book, Listen, Learn, and Love, Embracing LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. Or go to Apple and leave a review on the podcast. Um, my guest is joining us today from Colombia. We've never had a guest from Colombia on the podcast, Pedro. And Pedro is someone who is, I've gotten to know over the last couple of years. And he is going to share his story as a gay Latter-day Saint. So welcome to the podcast, Pedro. Well, thank you, Richard. Thank you for having me on. I'm excited to share my story with you and with everyone else. Um, yeah, thank you. How do we say your last name? So it's Muñoz. And will you yeah, spell that how, for us? Yeah, Muñoz. So it's M-U-N-O-Z. Uh, however, when I went to, to Idaho, <laughs> people had a hard time. Um, saying it right, so I just changed it to you know to like make it easier for them to say Munoz. So I guess that was easier for them. But yeah, it's Munoz. Munoz. Yeah. Well, is um, that right? That's because you helped me, Pedro. <laughs> um, listeners, I'll give you a little bit of a bio on Pedro, just so you kind of know um, who he is. He grew up in Colombia. Grew up Catholic. He's going to probably talk about being aware of his sexual orientation, being towards men in his teenage years, working through that, um, working through some depression. Then Pedro joined the church. Um, He was baptized in 2011 at the age of 24, about a month after meeting the missionaries. And then he got a call um, to serve a mission. He served a mission in Mexico. That call came within a year. And of course, he didn't leave for after a year he was baptized. So he served in Mexico from 2012 to 2014. And then he um, made his way to Idaho, graduated from Rexburg, from BYU, Idaho. And sort of at that point, um, really faced his sexual orientation head on. And at one point felt that his path was to leave the church and resign. And um, back in Columbia, he felt impressed to re-engage with the church and talk to his bishop. and and is now kind of re-engaging with the church. Um, not sure exactly his future, keeping all doors open, but like a lot of my guests, their stories aren't complete, and they're sort of in their story, but I think that's great. I think a lot of us are in our story, and I have a feeling that for you that are LGBTQ, that Pedro will have some insights that will help you as you're trying to write your story and know your best path forward, and those of you that are Allies and parents listening to Pedro will help you as you've got a loved one in your life you're trying to help. So that's our joint prayer. Um, This is a really good man, listeners. We've been interacting for a few months, and it's a real honor to have him on the podcast. Remarkable man trying to do the very best he can his whole life. Recognize the courage to join our church um, from a family that's full of Catholics, and then bravely to serve a mission a year later. And I just think there's a lot of people's lives that are better in Mexico where he served, Colombia where he grew up and where he is, and also in Utah and Idaho where he's lived. So is that is that okay for an introduction, Pedro? That is great. Thank you. 
So I'll just let you start, you know, usually we kind of start in the early years, you know, so you can start wherever you want to start. All right. So what, what do you want me to tell you? So I'm, I'm from here, from Colombia, as you said. Um, I'm the oldest of um, three children. Uh, I have one sister. She's married. She has two kids and then one brother. Uh, we grew up. So the tradition in my family was Catholic, even though my parents were not really religious. But that was a tradition. So when I was about, so from like a very young age, I I always wanted to know more about, you know, like more about God and all that. Um, so yeah, I was very, very active in, you know, like going to mass and like doing that kind of stuff. Um, I, I realized that I was different from a very young age too. This is when I was about seven years old. I remember just feeling like I wasn't like the other boys. And, you know, I, I remember <laughs> that was a long time ago, but I remember as if it was yesterday that one of my classmates, um, he, he was the only child in his family. So I was only, I, I was actually only this friend and, and his mom. So he was very spoiled, you know, like his mom would always buy him, you know, like the newest toys and all that. And um, my siblings and I, we grew up in a very uh, tight um, economic situation. So we didn't have like, you know, like the, the, you know, like the newest things and all that. But he would share his stuff with me. And I really liked that. I felt like, oh, this is a really, you know, like we're really great friends because, you know, he's sharing his bike with me and his, you know, his toys and, and everything. Uh, but I remember, so we were together for like, so, you know, we went to school for like four years. And I remember when we were about eight or nine, he came to, he was really into sports and I wasn't like at all. But uh, this one time he came to, to school bringing his bike. And um, so he went to play soccer with everyone else. And I, I didn't want to play. So he said, okay, so you, you, you keep my, you know, you, you play with my, with my bike as much as you want. And I was like, you know, like very young, I was like, this is a super cool bike and all that. But after that, my classmates started making comments about it. They started to make comments about the fact that he wouldn't let anyone else um, use his bike, but only me. And they started, you know, like, uh, picking on me, you know, calling us boyfriends and all that. And I was very young, I was like eight or nine. So that started to, you know, like make me think about that, you know, about the issue. I didn't know what being gay was, of course, at this time. But when my classmates started to point at that, I started to realize that maybe the reason why I felt different than the rest of the boys is because I, I was actually attracted boys and as i told you my family wasn't very catholic you know like practicing but the tradition was very you know like marked in our families so i never i never heard any positive comments about gay people and this is back in the 90s you know like all the aids epidemic and all that so that's all the information i had when I when I started to realize that maybe I I was attracted to other boys, I started to panic. I thought that maybe I was you know like I was going to end up living in the streets, you know, and you know like 
I don't know. It was just because it was the only information that I that I knew about, you know, about gay people. So I started to um, fight <laughs> from a very young age, just praying and asking God, please don't make me like this. Please change me, change me, because I don't want to go to hell. That's what I was, you know, being taught at school. I don't want to go to hell. I I want to be a good you know, a good boy. I want to, you know, to, to make my family proud and all that. So my, my, um, having a hard time with, with my sexuality started at a very young age, actually. You're doing a good job of telling your story and it's, um, it's similar, but every story is a little different, Pedro. And, um, not many people have kind of worked. You've got two things going in your brain. If you're really gay, you could end up on the streets You in this life. And that's a pretty, that's a pretty dark path. And, and you could end up in hell in the next life. And that's a pretty dark path. And yeah. you don't really have a lot of um, understanding or resources and you're not talking to anybody about this. So it's a pretty dark spot. Um, so, yeah. I basically had no hope for this life or for the next one. <laughs> at this point so yeah and hope is you know my favorite word in the gospel and the world and it's a great gift to give each other's hope um and maybe that's what you're doing in this podcast for other people um and sometimes the people that give the best hope are the people that had no hope at one point because they can authentically help other people have hope and hope is certainly part of your life now yeah keep telling your story 12 13 14 15 kind of you know just those years well as a teenager actually when i was like about 11 i i i was completely aware that i was attracted to other boys and it was because i developed a crush on one of my classmates and this one like this time i i would you know like dream about like holding his hand and all the stuff unlike my other you know classmates who were like you know like thinking of like doing the same thing but with with girls so uh, I didn't want it to be obvious. So I started to like flirt with girls like a lot, you know, like I would flirt with them and just tell them how beautiful they were. And, and I was like, you know, like 12, 13 and all that. Um, but for some reason, it never, it never clicked with them. And I feel like maybe to them, like, well, this is me, like the, you know, like the present Pedro thinking that, Maybe for them, it didn't feel natural. And now that I look back on that time, it wasn't natural. I was forcing myself, you know, like as much as I could to flirt with them. And I kept doing that, you know, like during my old teenage years, but I never had a, a girlfriend. Uh, so when I was about, you know, 13, 14, you know, my, my uncles, my cousins, uh, you know, cousins who were like my, around my age or even younger than me, were already dating and they were asking me what's wrong with you you know why why aren't you dating anyone and i will always just make excuses you know like oh i'm you know like i'm super picky or you know whatever like i tried but like the girl that i liked wasn't into me and all that um and and it's kind of crazy that i that i got along with that for for a long time you know through my, you know, teens and my twenties, I got along with that. 
you know, because um, it was easier for me to just tell people, oh, I'm just not, you know, like interested or like she's not interested in all that. But deep down, you know, like deep inside, I knew that it was because I wasn't attracted to them. And that even when I tried really hard to, to flirt with them, they didn't show any interest in me. And that just kind of made me feel like, you know, like, well, I, I'm, I'm doing my best, you know, to, to, to achieve something that I don't feel like it's natural to me and it's not working. But, you know, like I had all this pressure of my family, my friends, my, you know, like my neighbors um, just asking me, who, who are you dating and all that. And yeah, about the age of 17, uh, this started to develop some um, feelings of depression and anxiety in me because, you know, I was, I was approaching uh, you know, to, to become an adult and I wasn't dating anyone. And, uh, at this point I was very worried that people would, you know, uh, maybe start to make assumptions about my sexuality and all that. So it was, it was an interesting time because even though I was, you know, like hanging out with my friends and trying to, you know, like just being a normal teenager, you know, like going to the beach with them and, you know, like playing video games and, you know, doing all that stuff. Uh, I always felt isolated even when being in a group because the rest of them were doing things that I didn't feel like were my thing. You have a good way of communicating, um, Pedro, just the complexity of your situation. And that's pretty good, insightful to being alone sometimes or loneliness or is lack of authentic connection. So you've got all these friends, but this part of you keeps you from being honest and vulnerable connecting in a way that they all are because you just know this part about you. You don't know what to do with it. <laughs> and yeah. there's n- not really much of a support system in place. So it wouldn't surprise me that it puts you in a pretty dark spot um, as far as depression and maybe feelings about suicide. So, and just for our listeners, tell us your age right now. I'm not sure I told our listeners. You're 20... I'm actually 35. I turned oh. 35 two weeks ago. There you so, go, listeners. Well, I could have done the math if I knew you served a mission. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it's fine. Most people don't don't guess that I'm this old. They usually, you know, like think that I'm younger. And that happened to me a lot when I was going to BYU, Idaho. But, but yeah, I just turned 35 two weeks ago. So that, I'm glad we know your age. And it's a great age. Pedro, and it just helps all of us know that you've got a long view of this. You've been on this road for a couple decades. Oh, yes. <laughs> because, you know, you're 20 years ago, you were first sort of being made aware of this part about you. So, yeah, talk to us about these late teenage years. And if you want, you know, any more there, or if you want to talk about your early 20s. And well, I'm um, going, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to step back a little bit. And that's fine. So during this time, when I was, you know, when I was 17, 16, 17, and I was hanging out with my friends and all the stuff, they were dating. But for me, at this point, I knew that I, you know, dating a girl would imply to put a lot of like extra pressure on my shoulders. So I decided to like not date girls and all that, like even uh, even though I, I kept flirting with them. I, I was really into guys at, the, at this point and I would dream of like dating men and all the stuff. However, because of like my, um, 
my surroundings, that wouldn't be a possibility for me. So about the age of 14, when I was introduced to pornography by one of my classmates, a girl, which is very unusual, <laughs> um, she brought some, some material to, to the school. And, you know, I looked at it and, and it got my attention. Um, after that, I kind of found like some refuge, if that's the right word for, for that, in, in pornography. Because I knew that dating men wouldn't be acceptable for me, you know, for my family, for my friends, for anyone. Um, but dating girls wasn't something that I was really interested in. So I, I started to like slowly uh, get into the habit of like looking at pornography from a very young age to 14, 15 years. So, yeah, so that kept on going for, for actually a big part of my, my life. Thanks for being honest about that. Um, respect for being honest about that. It takes courage to sort of be vulnerable. And this is the vulnerable podcast, but I, you know, I like the way you connected some dots there on why that came into your life. I think that's important for those that are working to put pornography behind them as understand often it's not about pornography. It's about other stuff that's coming in their lives. And the pornography is sort of a way to deal with that versus the, and so I think that's helpful. You're connecting some of the dots of just why that came into your life. So yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, actually, I learned more about that while meeting with a counselor, a great counselor at BYU Idaho. Actually, I will probably uh, talk a little bit more about that uh, later on. But but yeah, uh, for a long time, I I found you know I found a way to to just let it out through pornography, you know, like I, I wasn't allowed to, you know, like I didn't want to date girls, but I also wasn't allowed to date guys. So, you know, like, let's just, you know, like do this secretly and, you know, everything's going to be fine because no one is, is going to, you know, to find out about this. However, in my early twenties, um, and this is when I was, yeah, so I started to go to college here in Colombia at the age of 20. And I started to notice that my mood would change real quick. Like I would go from happy to angry and like matter of like seconds. And I started to realize that that wasn't normal. You know, why is this happening to me when I see everyone else, you know, like just being happy or being sad, but they don't change, you know, like that quick uh, as I do. Uh, I started to, to realize that there was something else going on. and. Um, at the age of like 22, 22, 23, it got really, really bad. And this is also the, the time when I started to deal with suicidal ideation. And I just didn't want to live anymore. Um, I didn't want to live anymore. I felt like at this point, 22, 23, some of my relatives and friends were already having babies and all that. And I, I wasn't did, even dating anyone. So I just felt so, so uh, broken and so like I didn't fit in any group, you know, like I would go somewhere and I just, <laughs> it sounds funny now, but like, I felt like I was the only gay person in my entire, you know, like group of people, no matter where I was, 
uh, a college or, you know, in a family setting, group of friends, wherever I went, I just felt like I was the only one. And that just made me feel so, so broken and so like there was something wrong with me and I didn't want to, to live anymore. Uh, some things had happened with my, with my father at this point to my father and I never really had a, a good relationship. But at this point, he had done some things to me and my siblings and my mother that I couldn't take it anymore. Uh, so we, we were not talking at this point of my life, my early 20s, like at all. And well, that didn't help the whole thing because I was already feeling like I was broken, like I, you know, like I didn't fit anywhere. And then just seeing, you know, my family just falling apart, especially my relationship with my father didn't really help me because I was accumulating all these things and I didn't really have anyone to talk to, you know, and sometimes I would just, you know, kneel down and pray and just say, God, why, why are you doing this to me? Why, why is my life just becoming such a mess? You know, I'm, I'm struggling with this. I'm struggling with this. And now this is also happening. I don't really just, I don't want to live anymore. And it went on like that for, for a while. Um, during this time too, um, I was really angry. I think, I think I would say I got, I didn't want to, you know, like do like, I didn't have anything to do with like religion or anything like that. But at some point I was just in such a bad place that I decided to go back to the Catholic church, which is, you know, like the only thing that I basically knew at this point. So I to go back and I remember just going there on Sundays and just kneeling there and praying and asking God, please, you know, like I'm, I'm 20, I'm 23, I'm 22, 23. And my life is, is, is a mess right now. You know, like, um, can, can you please just help me, you know, show me, show me something because I, I don't want di- to do this anymore. And then one time, this one day, my mother called me at this point, I wasn't living with my parents because of the situation with my, with my, uh, dad, I was living with some relatives in a different town. And my mom called me once on the phone and she said, Hey, I'm meeting with, uh, a couple of Mormon missionaries. And I was like, Mormons, like, do, like, do they talk to people like to normal people like you and me? It was like, yeah, they're visiting me. And I, I went to church and I really liked it. And all of a sudden, like, I had no idea because I always saw the missionaries when I was younger, you know, like going to college, going to school and all that. And I just saw these two guys who to me looked like, you know, like foreigners, wearing a white shirt and a tie in a town where, you know, like the temperature is always like so high and it's so humid. that didn't make any sense to me, but that like, they never talked to me. So I felt like that was kind of like a closed group or like people like them. When my mother told me that they were teaching her, that kind of like surprised me. And then she started to tell me, oh yeah, they're teaching me about this and the plan of salvation and, you know, like how, you know, like there's a plan for everyone and all that. And at this point, I was, as I told you, I was going through through such a hard time that I I told my mother I need to talk to them. You know, I want to I want to hear what they what they are teaching you because to me it sounds like that's something that I need in my life. So this is in uh, 2009 when the missionaries started teaching my mother. But, you know, I was living away and the town where I was living in, the church is not there. So there's no missionaries. There's no nothing related to the church. 
two years after that, in 2011, when I, when I went back home because my sister, she was having a baby. So we went back to my hometown uh, because she needed to check on some things and all that. And I finally had the opportunity to meet the missionaries. I met with them. Uh, actually, <laughs> this is kind of funny. I, so they were not teaching my mom anymore because my mom um, had decided not to get baptized because she couldn't quit coffee. <laughs> so she didn't, she didn't want to stop drinking coffee. So the missionaries told her, okay, well, when you're ready, just, you know, like come back to us and, and we will, you know, like, you know, keep preparing you to, to be baptized and all that. So when I went back to, to my mom's uh, home, the missionaries were not visiting her anymore. And she told me, I was like, oh, I was so disappointed. Like, I really wanted to talk to them. So this one time, um, I had been there for like a week or so. I saw them walking down the street and I called them. <laughs> and I said, aren't you elders such and such? And they were like, no, we're not them. Why is that? And I was like, oh, because they were teaching my mother just recently. And I really wanted to meet with them. And they were like, yeah, they were, you know, they got transferred to the, you know, somewhere else. But we're the new missionaries here. If you wanted to, like, if you want to talk to us, we can come and visit you. Know, that. So we did that, and they came um, a few days later. They, the first thing that they taught me was the plan of salvation, I think, and the restoration. They because I had read the, the pamphlets, you know, in advance, so like they kind of like had the chance to like go a little bit faster with me. Um, and yeah, like a month after that, I, I decided that it was time for me to join the church. And Wow, one yeah. month. Yes, it was about a month after I, I called him <laughs> and told him to come and visit me. This is a great part of your story, Pedro. What courage and faith. And I, you know, I think I listen to this listeners and I think there's a lot of people that are wounded is... I think there's a great deal of woundedness in the world and um, you're doing a good job of articulating your personal journey with being tremendously wounded by just mortality. And I recognize that our restored gospel has answers to that woundedness and you're looking for it. And I think a lot of people are, and I think it's um, good missionary work sometimes that figures out kind of where the woundednesses are and talks about how the gospel and can help heal that woundedness, especially through our Savior. But the plan of salvation sounds like particularly resonated with you, just the idea of, you know, where you came from, why you're here, and where you're going. And I assume that gave more meaning for your individual life that was pretty difficult right now, just to have maybe a, a higher perspective of or context. Um, so thanks for joining the church. Pretty courageous to do that. and. Um, Keep sharing your story. So you're in the church now. And after a month of meeting the missionaries, I bet those missionaries are will forever remember you. I don't know if you're connected with them still, but um, that's a great story. So keep sharing your story, Pedro. Thank you. And yeah, I actually, these two missionaries are actually two of my closest friends. Cool. Uh, they're both from Utah. So when I went to BYU, Idaho, and when I was living in Utah, I got to see them a lot. Uh, and to kind of like become a part of like their families too, you know, like their, their families, you know, like were super nice to me and all that. So yeah, we, we have a good relationship with them. Um, 
still. Uh, but yeah, well, now, yeah, I'm, I'm a member of a church. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, it was, that was an adventure. Um, as you said, um, the plan of salvation definitely resonated with me at this point, especially when I was, you know, like uh, just a few months uh, before I joined the church, before I met the missionaries, I just wanted to end my life. And now here I was, you know, like attending a place where I felt like I was welcome and loved and where I was receiving, you know, guidance and answers to my, to my prayers and all that. And it just felt great. Honestly, when I, when I first uh, joined the church, um, I wasn't planning on going on a mission. I was 24 already. So I was like, no, there's no way that, you know, that I'm going to go on a mission. I just want to. I joined the church and, you know, like stay in the church and then just find a job and, you know, like whatever. But uh, I wasn't really planning on going on a mission um, when I joined the church. However, (laughs) the missionaries, for some reason, we have four missionaries in my branch. Uh, Back then, I I don't know what it's like now because I haven't been there for for a while. Uh, But the four missionaries, for some reason, they really liked me. And the four of them got to teach me, you know, like in different points. So the day I didn't know this till like later, but the day I, the day before my baptism, they called me and they said, because one of the missionaries who, who baptized me, he was going home like the week after and he was training, you know, a, a new missionary. Uh, so they, they were kind of like, okay, so I think that elder such so that, you know, like the newbie should baptize him because, you know, like it's going to be his first, his first baptism and all that. And they know, I think that the one who's going home and then the other two, anyway, they told me that, um, you know, like a while later. And I thought that was funny, but the four missionaries really, really liked me that they started to like this day after I got baptized, they started to take me on lessons, you know, like to visit like his, their other uh, investigators and, and all that. and having the opportunity to share you know what I was feeling at the time with other people I feel like that strengthened my testimony at the time but also gave me the desire of doing that as a full-time missionary at some point uh, so when I had been a member for like well, like six or seven months or something like that. That's when I decided that I wanted to go on a mission and I did my paperwork and all this stuff. And yeah, I got my, my mission call uh, a few, you know, a couple months later. Uh, and then, well, um, a few months later, I went on a mission in April of 2011. I mean, in 12, when one of the missionaries who baptized me was still a missionary. That's cool. Yeah. So that was, that was funny because we would email each other every, every Monday. And it was like, it went from being, hello, Pedro, how are you from his side? You're from on his end to being, hello, Elder Munoz, how are you doing? And also it was, it was funny, but it was a great experience too. Um, So yeah, I went on a mission. It was a great experience. I, um, I was still struggling, you know, like, silently with my sexuality and with, you know, my mental health at this point, but I decided to go anyway. And I just had a feeling that by doing so, blessings would come to my life. I didn't know which ones I was hoping, of course, and I don't think I'm I'm the only missionary, like the only gay missionary. (laughs) 
in that position. But I was hoping that even my my um, same sex attractions would go away, you know, after serving a faithful mission and all this stuff. Um, so anyway, I decided to go. Uh, um, it was a great time. I I got to to Mexico and, you know, like I, it was all new for me. I had never left my country and all that. However, the people in Mexico were so welcoming and so loving that it just made, you know, my time, you know, and my experience as missionary way easier. Like I really, I really started to love being a missionary, uh, after, you know, after I started to connect with, with the people and, and teaching others and, and all the stuff. So, so yeah, it was, it was a great experience. Um, my same sex attraction, of course, didn't go away during my mission. However, I feel like the fact that maybe I was just so focused on serving and helping others and all that, it wasn't really a big issue during my mission. I got to serve for two years and actually for two years and a little bit more <laughs> because when I was on my mission, this was when the church changed the, the mission, like, you know, the age for missionaries to like go on missions and missions, you know, like made adjustments because of that. My mission decided to add two weeks. So I was in the mission field for two years and two weeks. That's and awesome. during that time, I, I didn't see myself doing anything else that wasn't being a missionary. Uh, it was, it was a great time. Of course, you know, like I had bad days and, you know, like, and I think every missionary does, uh, when you're a gay missionary though, you have to like struggle with like some extra stuff that I of course had to, to deal with, like having a crush on one of my companions. Uh, that was really hard because, you know, like I had realized, uh, when I had been, out on, on my mission, you know, for like a few months that I, that I was noticing, you know, like some other, you know, like missionaries were attractive, but they were not my companions, you know, like sometimes they were, you know, like my zone leaders or someone like that. So the problem wasn't really, you know, like a problem <laughs> because I would see them, you know, like every now and then, and that was it. But having a crush on the missionary who was my companion was really hard because I spent 24 seven with him. You know, we were together 24 seven and all that. And that was, that was a hard time for me. I remember um, fasting and praying harder than I had ever done in my mission before. At this time, just asking God, please, you know, like make these feelings go away or, you know, like just help me think of something else because I cannot be having these feelings for this guy when we live together. I see him all the time, you know, like in, you know, this is, this is not a good thing. So I don't know if it was actually God, you know, wanting to like make things easier for me because I was, you know, like, so worried about that and all that, that the feelings didn't go away, but they kind of turned into a really good friendship with this guy, with this missionary, with this companion. And we became really, really close friends I remember uh, that members would point at that sometimes and say, elders, you get along so well because they were, you know, like they, they had seen some other missionaries in the past who, who would sometimes argue and you're know, like, who, you know, 
that it was evident that they didn't like each other. <laughs> and it was so surprised that this campaign and I were like super close and we're like really good friends and all this stuff. And that also changed, you know, the, the, you know, the, the work in our, and, 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 our companionship, you know, like we were working harder and, you know, like, and having more success because we were getting, you know, like along very well and all that. So I'm grateful that, you know, that it went from like, you know, like me torturing myself because I had a crush on this guy uh, to become a really good friend and, you know, like just working uh, well after that and all that. But yeah, uh, it was definitely an interesting time uh, being a gay missionary. <laughs> Uh, definitely brings some um, interesting experiences uh, to the mission field. That's a great segment. I, you know, for younger men and women that are gay that are wondering about a mission, I think that helps them. I've that's a consistent story I've heard is most of the time it's not a problem. There may be a crush in a situation, but you've had a pattern of when you've needed help is to pray, and um, that's a pattern as you've been sharing your story, and there's been. Some, there's been relief, not complete sort of solving of the situation the way you thought it would, we'd like it to be solved, but there's been enough relief, if that's a good word to move forward. Um, you know, great job on your mission. I mean, if you think about this, Pedro, you, you joined the church and, you know, you're on a mission a year later to the people of Mexico. And, um, you're helping people come into Christ and feel the love of our, of our heavenly parents. And you're not completely sure about your future. And you go with this hope that maybe this will end your same sex attraction. And, and it's a noble hope. It's a good hope. And here you are consecrating two years to the Lord. So it would make sense that maybe he'd offer that in return. Um, so you're just doing a great job of just navigating your life and, Blessing a lot of people along the way. So, yeah, talk to us about coming home. And um, we're kind of halfway through the podcast time. So just kind of, I think you're about halfway through your story, but just kind of for pacing purposes, be thinking about that. Okay, well, I, I came back home and honestly just hoping to meet a girl and marry her and all that. Uh, I did meet someone who was in my branch and she wasn't there before you know when i left she wasn't there so we met we got on pretty well and i was like okay she's gonna be the one i'm gonna marry uh so we started hanging out and you know we got on pretty well we're we're still really really good friends um but after a few months after i came back home from my mission i relapsed on pornography and that started to mess with my mental health again so i I had a hard time, you know, like re reintroducing myself into, you know, the life of not being a missionary. Um, but at the same time, you know, like around the same time, 2014, mid 2014, I was preparing to go to BYU, Idaho too. So I was like, okay, well, this is happening to me right now, but I'm going to go to BYU, Idaho and, you know, it's going to be awesome. And these things are going to go away for sure up there. So I decided not to date this girl because I was going to, to be BYU Idaho. So I, I told her, let's just, you know, like, like stay friends. And then I'm going to go there and we'll keep in touch for like a little bit and see how things go. When I went to BYU Idaho, of course, you know, my first, second, third semesters, I was like every other guy at BYU Idaho I was dating a lot, going on a lot of dates and, you know, like just, 
finding the good girls in my classes or <laughs> in my ward and asking them out and all this stuff. And during my second semester, I actually had a girlfriend. She was one of my FHG sisters. She was a really nice girl. She is super cute too. And we decided to start going on dates. Actually, she asked me out the first time. <laughs> and then we started to date and it didn't last very long. And that was devastating to me because I felt like it was because there was something wrong with me. And I started to notice that pattern, you know, after that, every time, you know, uh, I would go on a date with a girl or like I would show interest in a girl and all that and things wouldn't like wouldn't work out. Uh, I would just go and blame myself. And this started to mess with my mental health even more. Like at this point, I wasn't diagnosed with depression yet, but I was pretty sure at this point that that's what I was dealing with. I refused though to like go and see a counselor that was so embarrassing and you know, like didn't want anyone to, to know about it and all that. And it wasn't until, again, praying and asking God, what, what should I do about this? That I felt like the right thing was to go and meet with the counselor. So I started to do that. Uh, BYU-Idaho started to, to meet with the counselor. And uh, first I uh, rejected <laughs> to get into medication. I was like, no, I just want to meet with you. And, you know, like, just talk to you, keep going to the temple. By the way, I, during my first two years of BYU, I went to the temple every Friday. Like I was, <laughs> I was that like into the, the church and everything. Uh, I told him, yeah, I go to the temple every Friday. And, you know, I feel like doing that, you know, reading the scriptures and meeting with you, that should be enough. Um, well, it wasn't enough. You know, like things kept getting crazier and crazier. This is, you know, 2017. So I went to BYU in 2016, January. And in 2017, kind of like, you know, like mid-2017, my I felt like my world was just falling apart. I wasn't able to enjoy. I Well, I was an art major at BYU, Idaho, by the way. And Doing art is something that I that I love, that I enjoy, you know, like drawing, painting, photography, sculpting. I, at this point in 2017, I just found myself not being able to enjoy any of these things. I didn't enjoy my time with my friends anymore. I didn't enjoy going to church anymore. The only thing that was in my head is I'm so broken. I'm so, you know, I'm so damaged that I don't want to live anymore. Uh, I probably forgot to mention that at this point, I, I was out to only a few people. Um, the first person I came out to was my, my religion professor, actually. Wow. During my first semester at BYU-Idaho. He was my uh, eternal family <laughs> professor, which is a class that LGBTQ plus uh, students at BYU-Idaho BYU always have a hard time with. And I wasn't the exception. I remember after we talked about homosexuality, I went home and cried and I said, oh my gosh, you know, the family proclamation and the temple and these things, I would probably not be able to, to have these things. And, you know, I'm not going to make it to, to the celestial kingdom and all that. So I went home and prayed and cried. And I felt as a result of that prayer that I needed to come out to my religion professor. I had never told anyone before. And why my religion professor, you know, like of anyone, my religion professor of like, 
and it was my eternal family profession, by the way. So anyway, I went to his office, came out to him, cried and told him, hey, at the time I didn't, I didn't identify as gay, but like as strong with same-sex attraction. So I told him I that I had a crush on one of my classmates in his class and all that. So anyway, that gave me the courage to come out to one of the missionaries who baptized me. Wow. And to my room roommate, uh, who is still a really good friend of mine. So anyway, at 2000, uh, during 2017, when I was strong with these things, I was already out to a few people, but not that many. I was out to them, but I wasn't out to myself. Like I, I acknowledged to them that I struggle with same-sex same attraction, but I wasn't out to myself. I was in denial. I, I hated myself because, because I had feelings for men, feelings for men and all that. And uh, I, the rest of this year, 2017, in the beginning of the next year, it was, it was a hard time for me to the point that in the spring of 2018, I attempted suicide. Wow. After getting in an argument with, with my, the guy who was my room roommate at the time, this is a different roommate. This is not the one I, you know, the, the one I had come out to. This one knew about me too, but yeah, we got in an argument on a Sunday after church because at this point I was so, I was never mad or angry at the church, but at this point I was start to get, starting to get very frustrated at church because I felt like every class I was taught, every every um, talk that was you know given, every every class religion class that I attended was designed to make me feel like there was no place for me in the church, and I wanted to stay in the church. So I started to you know like you know like fight those things inside of me. You know like the part of me who that wanted to stay in the church. And the part of me that started to felt like to feel like, but there's no place for gay people in this church. So I was really frustrated and all that. After that argument on that Sunday afternoon with my roommate, he left. He went on a on a on a drive, and I I was already at this point. I was already on medication for for depression. I took the whole bottle of my my prescription the whole thing. And after I did that, I remember that I sent him a text saying, sorry, this got a bit emotional. I took all the pills. I lay in bed. I texted him and said, if I'm not alive when you make it back, just know that I love you. Then I put my phone away and laying in bed, I said a prayer and said, God, just take me with you. I feel like I feel like there's no point for me to be here anymore. And said a prayer, and that's all I remember. I I fell asleep, I think. I don't know. And then I woke up the next day. 
connected to a lot of machines and all that stuff. And I opened my eyes and I asked the person who was next to me, a nurse, am I in Rexburg? And she said, yes, you are in the hospital because of this and this and this. And everything just started to come back to me. Flashbacks from, you know, like when I was being taken to the hospital in an ambulance, um, one of my roommates just crying, trying to wake me up. And my bishop My bishop, one of his counselors and their wives just standing there next to me. Yeah, that was a hard time. It was a very, very hard time for me. When I when I woke up, the nurse told me, well, here's the deal. You have to go to uh, a behavioral health center down in Idaho Falls. If you didn't do it by yourself, they will force you to do it. So you better do it by yourself. So I said, well, if I have no options, I will go. So I went the same day, Monday afternoon. I got there. They took everything. You know, like I, I wasn't expecting you know, that. They took everything, my phone, my everything from me, my shoes. <laughs> and I just felt like my life had been taken from me. When they took everything, they put me, I think they put me in a uniform or something like that. And I just blended with the rest of the people there, the rest of the patients. I went to my room and cried and prayed and asked God, why, why are you allowing this to happen to me? You know, like, what, what do I have to do? So anyway, I was there for a week. And during that week, actually, I got to grow and learn a lot. I got to meet with a counselor. She was uh, from Arizona, so she was an LDS. She didn't, she didn't grow, uh, grow up in the church. And that actually helped me a lot because her perspective that didn't have anything to do with the church helped me realize that I needed to look at my situation from a different point of view. That praying every day, that reading the scriptures more, that fasting more, that going to the temple twice a week was not going to fix what was going on, that I needed to look for something else, that I needed to get serious about looking for uh, professional help. So yeah, my time there, I learned, I grew a lot. I made a goal a lot. I made a goal of figuring out what was going on and trying as hard as I could to get better. So when I got out and got back to, to Rexford, I started to meet with my counselor. Um, I decided to change the medication I was on because the previous one wasn't actually helping me and also was introduced to meditation. So I started to meditate and yeah, uh, my life changed uh, in a big way um, after that experience in, yeah, in Rexburg and at BYU, Idaho. Pedro, uh, um, a bunch of listeners with tears in their eyes and because of your courage to be so honest with your suicide attempt. And I think it helps others that are suicidal to for you to kind of take them down that road with you and and help them realize why for you and hopefully for them that isn't the best way forward. And I love the love of the people that 
reached out to you once they knew how in a desperate place you were, your roommate crying. And you're pretty emotional about people that you realize loved you that perhaps in your dark place, it's hard to see the people that love you. And it doesn't unvalidate how dark a place you were. Um, But I think it helps all of us to realize how many people really love us that would be heartbroken if we left. I love, I love your therapist bring coming into your life with other tools to help you make your way forward. I think Heavenly Father wants us to have a lot of tools. Um, and sometimes we need Jesus and a therapist. And, yeah. um, and especially when you're navigating your sexuality to be able to accept that within yourself and, and be able to make your way forward. So you're doing just an incredible job. I kind of use the owner's manual listeners were to be a gay Latter-day Saint or a gay Catholic growing up in Colombia, there's not much of an owner's manual of how to do this, except in some ways you're teaching us the owner's manual is just staying close to your heavenly parents, prayer, the savior, seeking personal revelation and continuing to try to make your way forward the best way you can. So I'll turn it back to you. The story's not over yet. Pedro, you're just now, so keep talking. Well, after this, I got into meditation, as I told you. Uh, life, I was, I was working really hard towards getting better. Uh, I wanted to do it for myself, but I also wanted to do it because I knew that, I knew now that there were people who would, who would be really sad, you know, if I, if I decided to end my life and all that. So I was like, okay, these people really love me. I got to love myself. I got to, you know, like, I got to take things from a different perspective. So my decision at the time was to actually take a step aside from the church. I still, you know, I still kept going to church and praying and all that, but I wanted to really focus on my personal relationship with God rather than the church as as an organization. So I was like, okay, I'm going to keep going to church. I had to anyway, because I was, you know, I was a BYU Idaho. I was required to do so, but I, I wanted to focus on my personal relationship with God. And through meditation and combining meditation and prayer and prayer, I was actually able to, to do that. So I felt like at that point, I felt like my personal revelation or what God wanted for me at that time was for me to actually focus on my relationship with him and with myself and to kind of forget a little bit about, you know, like, oh, it has to be this way. You have to be at church at this time. You have to do these things and all that. Uh, so I kind of like, you know, like start to uh, put those things aside a little bit and focus a little bit more on praying and communicating with God. Um, as time kept going, you know, uh, during my, you know, time getting into meditation, I also felt like it was time for me to start going on dates with men, which is something that I had never done before. I had never, you know, like even considered <laughs> dating a man. So at this point, you know, meditation, my my new prescription, my my um, counselor. I had a job that I really loved at this time. I was a TA for uh, drawing classes for art classes at BYU Idaho, and I had a really good uh, group of friends who supported and loved me. So, like all these things uh, were like a great combination, uh, and all of course, you know, like my my strengthening my relationship with my heavenly father. I felt like it was time for me to give 
dating men a try. So I got into you know, like Tinder, <laughs> of course, because it's BYU Idaho. You are not just going to go to you know like a gay singles world or something like that. Uh, so I, I, you know, I started to use Tinder and to talk to people and all that. And I met someone. I met someone and we started to chat and we got along pretty well. Uh, he is a really, really nice guy. He has a great heart. He grew up in the church, unlike me. <laughs> um, so that was that was funny that, you know, he grew up in the church. I didn't, but we were like there. We were you know, kind of like, you know, like trying to figure out, you know, now what kind of thing. So anyway, we started to hang out um, a while after we started chatting. Actually, we started chatting, but we didn't meet in person until like a year later, <laughs> which is kind of funny. Um, and we met in person and we started going on dates and all that. And, and, and I liked it. I liked it and I liked him and I loved spending time with him. And that was something that, you know, that I was, that I had never allowed myself, myself to do, you know, at all to, you know, like to, because I felt like, I feel like in the past, you know, especially when I was younger, and this is before BYU Idaho, whenever I tried to date girls or like even flirt with girls, I had to put a lot of extra effort to make that happen only to go and say, Hey, I want to go on a date with you. And with this guy, it just felt natural, you know, like, Hey, let's go watch a movie or let's go eat something. And I love Mexican food. So like, Hey, let's go get tacos or something like that. So anyway, it was a really interesting time. And this is already 2019 when I'm, when I'm, you know, like seeing this person. And of course, you know, like, we were not officially dating because that's against the rules at BYU Idaho. And also because we were afraid, I guess, <laughs> of, you know, like what dating meant in that environment. So we were just kind of like really good friends who went on dates and, you know, and all this stuff, but it just felt great. So I was feeling so good about life at this point, 2019, March of 2019, that I felt like it was time for me to come out public. So on a Saturday night, I went to my room and I got on my phone and I made this post on Instagram and Facebook, basically telling everyone who knew me at the time, hey, I'm gay. You know, and like some of those people were former mission companions, my mission president, um, you know, uh, people that I taught and baptized so there was a lot of pressure on me while I was doing this, but I just felt this need to be honest with people, especially to, you know, like people who were at this point expecting, I was 32 already, you know, so a lot of people were expecting me to, you know, like, why aren't you married already? You know, and especially when I had, you know, like dated a lot of like cute girls at that point. And, you know, like me trying to, you know, like just justify and excuse myself. I was just so tired of it that I just felt the need to be honest with people. So I made a post and was, you know, like open about what was really going on. Um, interestingly, some of my converts from my mission and members and, you know, like two of my mission companions reached out to me and they say, hey, dude, <laughs> this doesn't change anything. We still love you. You know, I still see you the same way. This doesn't change anything about the way I, I see you. And that was that was great for me. With my family, though, things didn't go 
that great. <laughs> Nancy Sorelli, my mom and my sister kind of freaked out when they saw the post. And yeah, they, they started, you know, like uh, texting me and saying, why are you doing this? And anyway, it wasn't, it wasn't pretty. <laughs> I will say that. Uh, but yeah, that's a conversation that my family and I actually still don't have. They don't really like talking about, you know, the, the elephant in the room, but, um, definitely being out, you know, being able to be more honest and open with people, uh, helped me to feel more comfortable with who I was and to finally come out to myself and say, Hey, dude, yes, you are gay, but that's fine. You know, that doesn't mean that you are broken. It doesn't mean that you are less than anyone else. You're gay and you're fine. And God loves you. And look, there are people reaching out to you, uh, telling you that they love you too. Um, I, I love these words you've been using that maybe you're not using anymore. Damaged and broken are a couple words I wrote that you had internalized about who you are. And... Um, I love your journey that you no longer use those words to describe you. I don't think your Heavenly Father saw you that way, but I think um, pretty logically just fitting into a society that's a heteronormative society, not being straight, and there's so many triggers to that, you just self-conclude you're damaged and broken or beyond repair. And But you're also teaching us how to get through that and... I admire you coming out and how healing that can be. Talk about your roommates. Um, tell us about, you know, did you talk to your roommates? Just tell us about that. Yes. And that's a funny story. So one of my roommates, so when I came out um, in March of 2019, I had just moved to that apartment in January. So I had been with these guys for only a couple of months. One of them, I, I will have to admit, he was very intimidating when I first met him because he is this very macho type guy. You know, his voice is very, you know, like low. And he was, you know, he served in the, in the military in Afghanistan and all this stuff. So he was like very tough and all that and very, very into the church. But he is also one of the nicest guys that I've met in my entire life. And I really grew to love this guy and, you know, his sense of humor and all that. So anyway, when I came out on social media uh, on that Saturday night, I then came out of my room to the living room. I gathered them there and I told them, hey, guys, I just did this. So I felt like it was, you know, like maybe it was a good idea for me to tell you in person because you're going to find out anyway later today or tomorrow. And they were sitting there, my roommates, all of them. And they said, it's fine. It doesn't change anything. Especially this guy, the, the one that I'm telling you uh, that I was kind of like intimidated by when I first met him. He was one, he was probably the most supportive out of like all my roommates. All of them were supportive, but this one especially, I love that guy. He... He made me feel safe and he made me feel, they made me feel safe. But like this guy especially made me feel like sometimes we're so afraid of coming out and telling other people because we already have made up ideas in our head about how they are going to react. And this guy taught me that I was so wrong, at, you know, by, by thinking 
that he was going to probably have, you know, like a bad reaction to it. And he was the most accepting and supporting and loving of all of my roommates. Um, so I got to learn that lesson from him and from them, but especially from, from this one roommate. Um, so yeah, uh, they were, after that, things didn't change with them at all. I honestly, because that was the first time that I was coming out to my entire apartment. Before that, only my room roommate knew, or like two of my roommates. Uh, but this is the first time when I was coming out to like my my whole apartment. I was kind of afraid that they they would probably you know like start you know like that they wouldn't want to share you know like the vanity um, uh, era with me anymore. You know what I mean? Like um, I was kind of afraid that like they would probably start to think that I was going to like look at them differently now that I was out to them. No, nothing changed. It was all the same. And I was with them for two semesters, actually. So I was with them for that semester and the semester after. Everything was fine. I actually decided to move, not because of, you know, anything with them and me being gay or any of that, but because one of my gay friends from, from school was living at a different apartment and he told me, hey, we should be roommates. And I was like, actually, yeah, that sounds great. So he convinced me to move with him. And that's why I left this apartment. Uh, just to move with, you know, to have my, my situation, my current situation then was good, but I felt like having a gay roommate, someone to relate to, someone to like, maybe talk to, you know, like late night, late night and say, Hey, I'm going through this and all that would probably help, um, you know, even more. So I decided to move and my last two semesters, I was, I roomed with this, uh, gay friend of mine who I also love and, um, and miss a lot but yeah it was it was actually a very good experience overall coming out to my room it was scary i won't lie to you but but it was good that's a great part of your story and you know i think as i've listened to these stories um coming out is just a way to feel like you belong and that this part of you that you think is undesirable and unworthy damage broken when people respond the way seems like most people have responded it's really healing and it's a simple thing that we can do when someone comes out to us is just to everybody that you've talked about as the things that they've said to you are not very complicated but so meaningful yeah. um it's not like we need a degree and how to support people that come out we just tell them we love them and nothing changes and we don't get all weirded out we don't change and um and it's so healing to you just to have normal relationships with people that know this about you. Yeah. And it's part of creating a feeling of belonging in our church and in our families that, you know, people can be who they are and who they're intended to be. So in this last segment, talk about, you know, I've kind of got some notes here. Talk about the church. Talk about considering resigning. Talk about moving to Columbia. Um, back to Columbia and then kind of where you are with the church now. Well, after, so during this time when I came out and all that, I was feeling very comfortable with me being me and with my relationship with my heavenly father. But I was also feeling like there was no point for me to keep, you know, like to stay in the church. So I kept going to church. I kept attending church because of my endorsement. You need an endorsement when you attend BYU or BYU Idaho, BYU Hawaii from your bishop in order to keep attending the school. And, you know, I didn't want to just lose all the work that I had done, you know, and I was so close to graduating. I graduated in, in December of 2000, 2019. 
So I kept attending church and all that. But honestly, my heart was not there anymore. I wasn't mad. I wasn't angry at the church, any of like these negative feelings. But I just felt like my frustration had taken me to a point where like, I felt like, why am I doing here anymore? So I considered that after I graduated, I didn't want to um, be in the church anymore. Just wanted to walk away from the church, start over and to look for a community where I would feel like, you know, more welcome being myself whenever I went to that community, to that place to, to, you know, to pray and to, and to, you know, strengthen my relationship with my heavenly father. So I, I found out that there were some other churches, you know, especially in the United States that, uh, that were okay with gay people, you know, LGBTQ people that even married, you know, uh, gay couples, that churches that even had, you know, openly gay uh, clergy and all that. And I was like, well, I need something like that. I need a community where I can just go, you know, um, keep my, you know, keep my relationship with God, but also keep being me because I honestly felt like there was no opportunity for me to do that in the church. So I moved to Utah last year in March of last year, 2020. Um, and while in Utah, well, I wasn't attending BYU-Idaho anymore, even though I was staying with a couple of uh, LDS people who are very active in the church and who, by the way, I love a lot. They were like, they were like parents to me. Uh, I stayed with them for almost a year. So the entire, you know, year of 2020, basically, they are very active in the church, but they are also so loving and supporting. Actually, the wife and this family <laughs> this one time we, I love, I love plants. I love plants. I love gardening. I love, you know, just doing backyard work and all the stuff. So when she found out about that, uh, because none of her children were going to that, she was like, oh my gosh, Pedro, we're going to be best friends. So we would go down to, uh, to Orem to this big, I don't remember the name of the, of the place, but this big, um, plant shop and just go and buy a lot of plants and bring them home and, you know, plant them and all that. It was, it was awesome. This one time we were working in a little, um, strawberry patch that we, that we planted her and I did. And, uh, I don't know, I don't remember how the conversation got started, but she told me, Pedro, I've known that you're gay since you came into my home for the first time. And I was, I was, shocked and i was like what what do you mean so when do you find out and she was like the next day you were here and i was like am i am i that you know like obvious and she was like not really that but like you know like you know some some things about you it just made me feel this uh couple by the way they have uh a child who is a member of the lgbtq community so i guess it was it was easier for them to you know, see see some of that in me anyway she knew for a long time but she didn't tell me till like the end of august when we were working on this strawberry patch and i told her i didn't want to tell you guys because i was so afraid of of the way you would react and i remember the words that she said she said pedro and this family we don't stop loving someone because of their sexual orientation and that just got to my heart when she said that And I told her, thank you for saying that, because this whole time I have been having so much pressure on my shoulders, 
trying to hide myself away as much as I could, worried that if you found out about me being gay, you would probably ask me to leave. And they, and she said, no, we love you. We love you. If you're straight, we love you. If you're gay, we don't, we don't really love people based on their sexual orientation. And that was a huge thing for me. However, I was still decided to leave the church, not because of the members, not because of anything, but because I felt like there was no place for me. So I said, okay, I'm going to keep going to church, even though they knew about me being gay. And we would always joke about that and all that. And it's like, oh, that guy is so cute when no one watching a show or something like that. <laughs> um, I, I said, okay, I'm going to keep attending church with them. But once I make it back to Colombia, I'm just going to resign. And that was my goal. And I didn't attend church for a big, you know, like a good couple months after I came back home. I came, ha- I came back in, J- in December of last year, 2020. And it wasn't until July of this year when, again, I nailed down and prayed and asked God, what the heck is going on with my life? This time I prayed, I kneeled down, knelt down and prayed and said, I want to talk to you as if you're one of my friends and I want you to answer to me as if you're one of my friends. What the heck is going on with my life? What am I supposed to do? And I just felt in my heart that I was supposed to just give it a try again. Just go to church. Just go to church. No expectations. You don't know anyone there. You don't even know who your bishop is. Just go and see how you feel. That's what I felt. So um, I think it was... Tuesday or Wednesday, I contacted my bishop and I said, I'm new in this area and I want to go to church. What do I have to do? Because this is, you know, still doing COVID restrictions. So they were just meeting, you know, like with some regulations. He said, yeah, just you're welcome to come this Sunday and all that. This is, you know, at this time and this and so and so. I decided to go and I just felt, I just felt like I was home. Once I walked in the chapel, I just felt like I was in the place where I was supposed to be, regardless of the way I had been feeling for like two or three years previous to that. So um, I decided to go, but then I talked to my bishop afterwards and I told him, I want to keep attending church, but I'm going to be honest with you. I lost my testimony of the church, you know, down the road, and I didn't come out to him yet. But I told him it's because of some things that I deal with that make me feel like I'm not welcome in the church. But I feel like God is telling me to come back because there's something that I need to learn. There's something that I need to gain from my attendance to church and, you know, with, with the mindset that I have right now. So anyway, I started to go to church in July. And then a couple of weeks ago, I came out to my bishop and I told him, does it make sense now? <laughs> Does it make sense to you why I don't want to renew my temple recommend? Because I don't really know if I'm going to marry a girl in the temple. So for me, it wouldn't make sense to, to renew my temple recommend right now. And what if I decide to date a man one or two months after I, you know, I get my temple recommend back, you know, and all the benefits, all the, all those things are going to be taken from me. You know, it's not going to be me dropping them, but you guys taking taking them from me, and that's going to hurt more. So he was actually very understanding of my situation, and he told me, okay, well, now I understand why you don't want a calling. Now I understand why you don't want to renew your temple recommend, which, by the way, uh, 
I didn't lose because I because of transgression or anything like that. It just expired, and I decided that I didn't want to renew it. So I told him that, and he said, "I really admire the fact that you were so, you know, so um, willing to just let these things go in order to, you know, like that, not disrespect them." somehow or something and i was like yeah i mean i knew that if i started to date guys even if it was just holding hands with them that could compromise my my church membership so with you know with my hand and my heart i said i'd rather let them go than have someone else take those things from me because i feel like it's going to hurt more that way so yeah i had this whole conversation with my, my with my bishop the first thing he said after i was done talking for the first part of, part of these, because we were talking for like two hours, he said, what is something that I can do as a bishop to help you feel more welcome here and like there's a place for you here? And I just started to cry because I'm a crier, by the way, I cry a lot. And I told him, Bishop, you have no idea of how much it means to me that the first words that you're saying after I just open my heart to you are to ask me of what you can do to help me feel more welcome here. Because for the longest time, I just felt like there was no place for me in the church. And by the way, in July, when I, you know, knelt down and prayed and asked God what I should do, that was very influenced actually by, um, so one of my friends, Juan, that's his name. We were roommates at BYU, Idaho, and he's also from Colombia. So we're both back here. He just lives a few miles away from here. And he is a fan of uh, listen, learn, and love and questions from the closet. So back in January, he started to tell me, oh, Pedro, I know that you don't consider yourself religious anymore, but you have to like listen to these two podcasts. They're so great. And I was like, no, if it's religious, I don't want anything with, with those podcasts. About June, by the end of June, I started to listen to questions from the closet, uh, Ben and Charlie's um, podcast. And that was the first time when I felt, honestly, and thank you, Ben and Charlie, if you're listening to this, that's the first time when I felt like being a member of the LGBT plus, LGBT plus, Q plus community and a member of the church was possible. That there is a place for, you know, members, gay members of the church and the church. So that gave me a lot of hope. And that's actually what triggered my, my uh, prayer, my honest prayer, asking God, what am I supposed to do? And then getting the answer, just go to church and give it a try. And then a few, like a couple of weeks after that, I decided to, again, okay, I'm going to listen to Juan and I uh, gave a try to this other podcast, Listen, Learn, and Love. <laughs> and, um, and yeah, I all the stories that I've been listening to since in these two podcasts have been um, making me feel like, yeah, there's a place it's hard, yes. It's a little bit difficult. I won't lie to you. Being LGBTQ plus and a member of a church, it's difficult sometimes because a lot of times it just feels like the two things cannot go together. But uh, the inspiration that I received from all the stories that I've listened to in this podcast and through my prayers and, of course, while I've been reading the scriptures again and all that have just made me feel like, yeah, you know, like you're just fine. And whatever you decide to do, because this current chapter of my life, you know, it's still been written, 
I don't really know what's going to happen in the future. I might, I might, you know, maybe find a girl that I say, okay, that's the one I'm going to marry. And, you know, like everything is going to be fine. Let's go to the temple and whatever, or maybe say, no, this is definitely probably not what I'm meant to, to do. And maybe find a guy and marry that guy instead. And, you know, with that, know that what the, that the church is, you know, like probably not that I'm not, I'm not going to be able to participate hundred percent in the church, but I'm okay with that. As I told my friend one again, after general conference, we were talking about all the talks and how they were all focused on, you know, temple, temple, temple. And he was so overwhelmed by that, by it. And I told him one, you know what? I really enjoyed all the talks because I no longer look at the church as the destination, but as the vehicle to take me to my destination. And I actually remember telling him, giving him this uh, weird example. I love New York City. Like I fell in love with that place. And I love, you know, the craziness that a lot of like people hate of like walking down the street and like, you know, being in the subway. I love that. And I remember telling him, one, imagine that you go to New York City, get in the subway and there's people of like, you know, like... (laughs) all the backgrounds that you can imagine, you know, like, you know, every type of, you know, like smells and whatever you want, but you really need to get to your destination. The people in the subway who are there with you, you know, they're not the destination. They are just passengers, just like you, you know, what really matters after you maybe have to deal with, you know, like some people smoking or, you know, like yelling or whatever, is that you're making it to your destination. And that's the way I, I see the church now. I see the church, the church as a whole, as a vehicle, where even, I don't want to sound disrespectful at all, but where even the apostles and the prophet are just passengers who are trying to make it to a destination. And because they are also passengers, just like me, their experience can be different to mine, and that's completely okay. I don't have to agree with, you know, every single thing that every passenger in that vehicle says, because if it doesn't apply to me, you know, what really matters is that I'm going to make it to my destination anyway. So I remember sharing that with him and he, he told me, oh, that's a great, you know, way to be, to like, to see it. And I was like, well, that's, that's the way I, I really felt. And I was able to really enjoy every session of the conference because of that, because I knew that they were, they, that when they were, inviting young people, young members of the church to get married in the temple and all that, that that might not be a possibility for me, but that doesn't mean that there's no room in that vehicle for me because what really matters is that I'm going to make it to my destination. anyway. Pedro, you're pretty mature. You've got a great, these visual analogies are excellent. Um, the grace and the understanding, you, you know, being on this road for a couple decades and joining the church, serving a mission, being BYU-Idaho, all your life experiences. This is the perfect time to do this podcast. It's the perfect time to be out. It's the perfect time to share your story, even though your story's not done. And that's okay. I think you're the very best you've ever been. I think you're the very best, Pedro, that you've ever been. You're not perfect. You're not at the finish line, but you're in a great spot. I admire your courage to consider coming back to the church. that takes a lot of courage. And I, um, I, you know, when you felt impressed to step away from the church, you know, my feeling is to just honor people's individual journey and trust them. You've been making really good decisions your whole life. And 
Um, and now your decision to re-engage with the church is, I think, is is great. And I love that you feel that's home. I love your bishop. And that question he asked you, that's a simple but a powerful question, really helpful for you. I think sometimes as priesthood leaders, as local leaders, we are so focused on outcome and benchmarks for people that someone without a temple recommend, we want to define our relationship with them of getting them a temple recommend. And, but I think in some situations, we should just honor how people feel and let them self-determine what their goals are for church participation and just say, I'll walk with you. I think at the congregation level, I've talked about this before, the gate should be wide. There should be no belief or behavior hurl to feel welcome in a congregation and let members, especially mature members like you, sort of self-determine the best way the church can work for them and, and just say, I'll walk with you. You kind of take the lead here and I'll walk with you. And then I think it creates a better feeling of belonging. The church is a means to help you on your journey. That passenger car in New York thing is a great example. Um, so I've, I've kind of learned to let people sort of decide their own benchmarks in some ways or their own outcomes and, and be a trusted friend and, and point them to principles that help them, point them to personal revelation, point them to things you're doing already to help them make their best decision. But I think sometimes we can put benchmarks or outcomes on people and they just feel like, you know, they just don't feel like they belong. And they feel like that that's defining the relationship. Um, I would guess if you come on the podcast and, you know, 10 years from now, there'll be more chapters of Columbia for you. And, um, I don't know what those chapters will be. I don't want to be prescriptive and suggest what they be, but I would think that you will continue to receive personal revelation and know your best path forward. And I love your connection to the church and Listeners, when we talk about eternal families and the proclamation of the family, I just recognize that that works really well for straight members. I love that doctrine. I'm supportive of that doctrine. Um, but I just recognize that people like Pedro have, have no ability to make that act. It's that, that, that is outside of Pedro's control to make happen for him an eternal marriage. And, but you're leaving the door a little bit to marry a woman, but that, then it could happen, but it's, it's pretty hard. And I think we need to, when we teach those lessons, just recognize for gay and lesbian members of the church that that just reminds them of something that's not possible in their life, a temple marriage. And so it creates a feeling of othering. It creates a feeling of not belonging. It creates a feeling of not welcome. And you're articulating that because you felt that. And I think we can do both. We can support our doctrine and teachings listeners and also talk about people that don't have that possibility in their life. Um, I, I mentioned this quote a lot, um, but this podcast is a particularly powerful one. Fitting in is about assessing a situation and coming and becoming who you need to be in order to be accepted. Belonging, on the other hand, doesn't require us to change who we are, but it, it requires us to be who we are. And so you've spent a lot of time of your life trying to fit in, Pedro, and trying to be that you know, round peg that fits into a round hole, but you're a square peg. And, and that's who you're meant to be as a gay Latter-day Saint and a gay Colombian and a gay, you know, all the different labels you have. It's a beautiful square peg you are, but it's on us to create a square hole for you because you can't become the round peg. You're not meant to be the round peg. 
So it's on us listeners as the as Christians, as Latter-day Saints, to create a feeling of belonging. Your roommates did that for you. You've got a lot of examples of people that have done that for you, your bishops doing that for you. But I think part of belonging is just recognizing the complex road that gay Latter-day Saints walk and be sensitive to things that are triggering for them so that they don't feel othered and they don't feel, I'm not welcome here. And I think it's part of just educating and your story helps educate us. I'm just, I'm going to turn it back to you, but I'm just deeply moved by you, Pedro. The first time listeners that we've met, we traded messages, but seeing him on the Zoom um, in Colombia, it's a miracle of technology, feeling his spirit, his goodness. Um, You're just a really good man, Pedro. I sense really great heart, a really kind, compassionate heart, a heart that's helped a lot of people. Um, a lot of people's lives are better because of you and your courage to talk about this story, your courage to be alive, gives hope and healing to others that are listening right now. And it might be closeted teenagers that um, were, are where you were, but here they've got you to talk to them, something you didn't have, and how helpful that is for them to know that there are other people like them. And there's a way forward and you're teaching principles that are applicable to all of us, no matter what our path is, to find a way forward. So on behalf of all of our listeners, thank you, Pedro. And I'll turn it back to you for any final thoughts. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. And well, um, maybe just something else I would add is that what you said. Uh, I didn't really have I didn't really have anyone talking about these things, you know, as, as a teenager. Uh, as a recent convert in the church, especially in the church. Um, my hope by sharing my story, though, was to do that, to be able to do to, to do that for someone else. Maybe there's someone here in my own congregation here in Colombia uh, who's closeted and who's struggling with, you know, like with that. And maybe if they listen to this, it's going to bring some hope to them, to make them feel like they're not the only one because for the longest time I felt like I was the only one. I was the only one in my family. I was the only one. And, you know, in, in my group of friends at college, at BYU, Idaho, especially <laughs> in the church, I always felt like I was the only one, like there was no one to go to and to be able to, to share my story and to tell other people, you know, you're not the only one, you know, and, and it's, and it's fine. Uh, God doesn't make mistakes. And if you were created that way, that's because that was, that's the way you were meant, you know, meant to, to be because God created you that way and he loves you that way, no matter what. Um, but yeah, definitely, as I told you, you know, like my, my, my recent experience uh, has, has helped me get where I am right now because I was so close. I was this close to just resigning from the church and just leaving everything behind. And then just, you know, um, listening to my, to this friend of mine and getting into this podcast and then, you know, like relating to the stories and then praying, going back to church. It just made me feel like there's more that I need to do in my, in my community and in and, and the church as a member of a church, as a gay member of a church, no matter what path I decide to, to take in the future, which is something that I also told my Bishop, I just want to know that if I come to this, you know, to this building by myself or holding the hand of a girl or holding the hand of a guy that I'm still going to be welcome here. And he said, you are always well welcome here. Good. You know, I, I, I love you. And I, and the little bit of, you know, like 
uh, of you that I know it's, I, I can tell you're a great person. And I know that you're, you know, talking to God and asking for personal revelation and, and uh, following that revelation. And I know that whatever path you decide to make, to take is the one that God is telling you to, to take. Uh, but we, we don't have a lot of leaders like that in the church, sadly. I have been lucky. I can, I can probably say that I've been lucky to have, you know, this one bishop and then this other one who came to the hospital to came to, to came to see me at the hospital when, you know, through my experience, these two guys are, they're perfect examples of what being like Jesus Christ is. Mm -hmm. But I feel like we need, we probably need to, we probably need to have more people like them because, um, yeah, some people like me, you know, they want to live a life true to who they are, but they don't want to, you know, like have to sacrifice the church in order to do that. So why can't we feel like we can have, you know, the best of both worlds and, you know, and just, and just be us. So, yeah, that's, that's probably the, the, uh, what I, what I would say. I'm not saying that, you know, like, I'm not telling anyone you need to do this or this, or that. I'm just sharing, you know, like my, my personal experience and how it's helped me to get to where I am, to know that, you know, as long as I am in this um, church unit with this bishop, he's going to be supportive and, lo and loving of me no matter what. That's great. Thank you. Great concluding comments. And this is Pedro. Munoz, if I said your name right, M-U-N-O-Z, and Richard Osler. Thank you, listeners, for joining us. We hope you felt the spirit. Really appreciate you tuning in and sharing this podcast with others. And we'll sign off until next episode.